Good morning. I'm so glad that you've joined us. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, praise team and praise band and tech crew. They've been awesome today. Uh, you'll never know all the scrambling that takes place before this event does. And uh, thank you, Jay, for leading us in our prayer time. And uh, we've got it. I'm just so grateful for everyone who's invested to make it today happen. Thank you for inviting us into your homes, your lives, uh, with this worship service. And today we want to hear a word from God. Does anybody here feel like they need a word from God today? Boy, I do. And you know what? He's right here. And his spirit is speaking to our hearts and lives. His word is not just a, a, just not a book. It is the inspired living word of God. And as we examine it together, as we approach it prayerfully, his spirit speaks to our, our hearts, transforming us and making us to be more like a, his son. He infuses us with real hope and expectation and encouragement in this life. This series is in the book of Philippians, and I encourage you to find your Bible or open it, turn it on, find chapter number one. That's where we're at today. And we're continuing the message from last week, and uh, over the course of the next several weeks, we'll be in this great book of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And it's encouraging us, helping us to understand that God has a hold of us, and it's encouragement that holds us, strengthens us, and helps us. Paul, you'll remember, is writing from a prison cell in Rome to a to a church in Macedonia that he has great personal affection toward and a love relationship, and that's the church at Philippi. And so this is the book of Philippians. And so today we're looking at it together. And really the idea that I want us to consider as we look at the text, and we're going to begin with verse number 12 in just a moment. But here's the thought I want you to consider. Does God have a purpose for my life? In the midst of stress and trials and difficulties, you might wonder, does God have a purpose for my life? In the malaise of these days of spending time quarantined at home, we wonder, does God really have a purpose for my life? Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you don't have the same job. Maybe lots of things are threatening normal life as you knew it before. But God does have a plan, and God has a purpose for your life. Rick Warren said in his book, Purpose Driven Life, before you were born, God planned this moment of your life. Thinking about that, God has planned this moment of your life. It's no accident that you're watching this service today. God has a word for you. He has a plan for your life. As you're watching this service today, you need to understand that God longs for you to discover the life that he's created you to live on this earth and forever in eternity. God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number one, that great rich book, in the message by Eugene Peterson, it is, it's his paraphrase of that verse. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ, he had his eye on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. 
God is in charge. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Don't you believe that? Hmm. It's not all about you, Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. The purpose of your life is for the greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born for his purpose and by his purpose. He has a plan for your life. Listen, these are the days that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in them. And uh, he, God saw you before you were born, and he's wanting to use these days for his purpose. Listen, God knew you'd be right here where you are today. And so my question to you is, will you trust him? Will you seek him? Will you learn from him? Will you live for him? He's with you today. Don't waste this day. Don't waste this moment. Don't waste these lessons that we can learn right here today in the midst of this difficult time in our life. Now, Paul's writing to church at Philippi. He's writing from a prison cell, as I said earlier. He's been held captive. He's in chains. He's chained to a Roman soldier guard. He's waiting to hear from Caesar who will determine whether he lives or whether he dies. And he's, he's a part of this church family, and he's, yet he's separate from them. And he's in quarantine, so to speak, and he's longing to be with them. And so he writes this deeply personal letter. Let's look together. Chapter 1, verse number 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout, <clears throat> has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And this I rejoice in this. I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all Boldness, Christ shall, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, 
I know I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts today from this passage of Scripture. Help us to understand that you purposefully are working in our lives. Even in the midst of difficult days, you are at work. And we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we notice that Paul talks about is his difficult situation, his difficult circumstances. And he sort of details my difficult circumstances. In verse number 12, listen to what Paul has to say. He says, I want you to know, brothers, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What was Paul's circumstances? He's saying, listen, I want to look back to the past, what has happened to me. I want to tell you about the present, what is happening because of that with me. And I want to tell you, look to the future of what I'm confident God's going to do. So, and he says, one of the things that you need to understand, there's an overarching principle in all of this, and that's the glory of Christ and that God is carrying out his will. He says, I want you to know, brothers. He says, this is the situation. I'm in Rome. I'm uh, in prison, and I don't want you to be ashamed of me. I'm not here for anything I've done wrong. You know that. But let me tell you, I'm here. I'm going through this. It's out of obedience that I'm in this place because out of obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God, I went to Jerusalem. Many godly people filled with the Spirit of God said, if you go to Jerusalem, bonds and suffering await you. And indeed, it happened to me, and I was falsely accused by hateful men who accused me of defiling the temple and uh, raising up um, uh, a disregard and blasphemy. But that is not true, and that's not what happened. But I was was nearly killed by a a mob and a riot, and, and then I was taken into captivity by the Romans for my protection and held captive. It ended up that I was in Jerusalem and there were plots to assassinate me and kill me. They moved me to Caesarea and there I was held in unjustly. I was treated with mockery and insulted and kept from my friends for months forgotten about, so to speak. And then finally I appealed to Caesar after being there for months and months. And I said, we set sail in the wintertime and it was a dangerous trip and it ended up with a shipwreck and me floating in the deep all night in the in the sea coming to an island to to be rescued it was it was terrible and we nearly all lost our lives yet the lord was with me and stood by me i even got snake bit while i was on the island but god took care of me we ended up in italy and i was a parade of prisoners taken back to rome i was assigned to arrest to a a prison. I was assigned to a guard who held me captive and watched over my every move and who came to see me. And, and I was in chains and I was awaiting the king, the Caesar, to decide my outcome. But I know my life was held by one greater than Caesar. And this is what I've been gone through, been going through. This is the difficulty of my life. That's my circumstances. What circumstances are you in? Do you have a great faith in Christ in the midst of your difficulty and your hardship, the troubles of your life? 
There are some of us that you're listening to me today, you're going through really hard things. Hard things. And in there, the midst of these hard things, you want to question, where's God in this? Why am I going through this? Why, how does God allow these things to happen? And sometimes we become bitter and sometimes we become sour in our spirit. But listen, my friends, God has a higher purpose than just what you're experiencing. And so what, how will we respond? Listen, the pain is real. The pain is hurtful. The loneliness, it tests us. It tries us. And in the midst of loss, there's real sorrow. But God can take even these hard things and he can use them to carry out his plan and his purpose. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. I've gone through hardship, but God has taken hardship and he's carried out his purpose. Brings us to the second point today is God is at work. Listen, you're going through circumstances that are hard, but God is working. He, these circumstances didn't take him by surprise. And he's working in them for your good and for his will. He is doing and carrying out his purpose for us. Notice he says, as it turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He says, through this, God is clearing the way for his gospel message to be to, to arrive in people's lives in ways that it couldn't have happened any other way. Wow, isn't that amazing? I said one of the ways that that happened is with the Praetorian Guard. This is an elite band of soldiers. Praetor is an elite guard, and he's held in prison in chains. He's usually changed every day to different guards who would come in in different shifts to keep watch over Paul. And they were part of the Praetorian Guard, was an elite guard. They often received double pay. They had great retirement benefits. Everybody wanted to be a part of the Praetorian Guard. They watched over those that were going to stand before Caesar in trial. And they had an important role. Now, can you imagine? Here's Paul. Great man of faith, this Jewish scholar. This follower, sold out, bold follower of Jesus Christ. This academic mind, fluent in Latin and Greek and Hebrew. A, full he a, full, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, but a Roman citizen. And they would bring him in and they would chain a guard to him. And probably initially it'd be a cool conversation, don't you imagine? I mean, not warm and familial at all, but they get to talk and Paul begins to ask him about his life, ask him about his family, ask him about whatever. I just imagine Paul doing that. And they'll say, well, why are you in here? Well, let me tell you, it's about this man, Jesus. Can I tell you about him? Have you heard about him? Let me tell you about Jesus. And then talks about why he's imprisoned and how that we as Jews believe in one God, not lots of gods like you all believe. We believe in the God that created the heaven and the earth and, and just would talk about who God is and, and how that we all 
need forgiveness of sin and that we're, none of us are righteous and that God sent his son, Jesus, and he was born and took upon human flesh and dwelt among us. And we, when we saw him, he was God and we never saw any man like him. No man ever did the miracles that he did. And he was crucified, not for anything wrong, but because of hateful men. And we crucified him on a Roman cross, and he died, but he died bearing your sins and mine. He took our place as a substitute, and he died for our sin. And you know what? Those Roman soldiers would ask him questions about Jesus, and he'd just talk to them about Jesus. And then they were chained to Paul, and Paul was chained to them. And he just would take talking about before long. They were asking questions. And then he said, and he rose from the dead. Can you imagine that Roman said, seriously, Paul? He rose, yeah, he rose from the dead. Let me tell you my story. I was on my way to persecute the church and track down these Christians. I hated them. I was zealous for the law. But then Christ spoke to me. Can you imagine him sharing his testimony with that Roman soldier? Are you seriously? You were blind? You, that really happened to you? It really happened to me. And again and again, he's witnessing to them about all that Jesus did for him. The him and how Jesus died for them on the cross. And that the grave is not the end. And Christ rose victoriously. And there's the hope of heaven. And you can become a child of God. Can you imagine? You can be cleansed from all of your sin. He's witnessing that prison, that, and that, in that prison cell. And he's witnessing to that guard who's chained to Paul. And I imagine him initially some of those guards were, are you kidding me? I got to go be chained to that Jewish guy again. He's out of his mind. But before long, the Spirit of God has started convicting. And this guy says, hey, hey, I'll be glad to guard Paul today. And he says, I'm I'm willing to go sit with him. I got some more questions for him. And next thing you know, another guy says, no, you don't know. I want to be with him today. And then before long, one of those guards comes to know Christ and is saved. And Paul begins to disciple and encourage him. He says, listen, tomorrow now, let somebody else come in here that doesn't know this truth. And they send somebody else. And they begin to talk about the gospel in the Praetorian Guard. And now it's not just Paul witnessing to them, but they're witnessing one to another. And there becomes a movement of God and a church is being born among Roman soldiers. That's why Paul at the end of the book says, and those of Caesar's household bring greetings to you also. Why? Because God was using this little Jewish man in a prison cell in chains and God put him in that place to change the whole Praetorian Guard. Woo! That's awesome, isn't it? Now listen, listen. God has you in difficult circumstances for reasons to use you in ways you could never be used before. Will you trust him? Do you believe in a great sovereign God that takes care of us? Amen. Hmm. Two friends were walking together. One was older and wise and the other younger. And they were passing through a severe testing time. And the older friend with loving wisdom said, no moment will ever be like this. Let there be something for Jesus in it. It is not something for Jesus if we dwell on our own miseries nor if we let opportunities pass without a word about our Lord, nor if we think that any hand other than his brought us to this place. It is something for Jesus if we think and speak about him and his glory 
It's something for him if we acknowledge and trust his sovereign will. Amen. But not only was this thing happening for good with the Praetorian Guard, but also in the church itself. Notice the other thing that is happening. Verse 14, And most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of the Lord without fear. He said, you know, others who are believers, brothers, when they saw, they were maybe fearful before about speaking out in Rome. But when they saw how God has used me and my imprisonment and what I'm going through and how God has sustained me, it's given them nothing but courage to be faithfully proclaiming Jesus as free men in Rome. And my brothers are sharing the gospel bolder in their witnessing because they've seen God's faithfulness. He said there are some others that are also boldly proclaiming Christ, but they're doing it with a different motive. They're sort of competitors. And the motive in them seems to be envy and strife. And they're preaching Christ not out of pure motives, not out of goodwill, and not out of love. And maybe there's a selfish ambition there. So Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles is somehow a threat to these others that were there maybe before Paul. And so they're competing with him for position or power or prestige or, prestige or whatever. But whatever the course, Paul says most of them are preaching out of goodwill and love. Now, here's, what, here's something amazing about Paul. Paul does not accuse them of the wrong message. He says, no, their message is right. It's about Jesus. He does not accuse them of the wrong methods. He says their methods are right. They're proclaiming Jesus. But he does say they have the wrong motive. And their motive, God knows. But I'm not going to treat them like unbelievers. As a matter of fact, I'm going to rejoice. Because the gospel of Jesus, no matter the motive is being proclaimed, and God's word will not return void. It's powerful, and it is transformational. So Paul doesn't care who gets the credit. Now, there ought to be a lesson here for all of us. In hardships and difficulties, sometimes people treat us in ways we are hurtful to us. But does, listen, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and Refuse to become personally jealous of other ministries or become competitive of other ministries. God doesn't care about your jealousy or competition. God doesn't want to see envy between ministries. But Paul isn't coddling his own hurts, his own insecurities. He doesn't treat them like they're the enemy. He says some don't have the right motives. But praise God, the gospel of Jesus is being preached powerfully and boldly here. Amen. Thirdly, rejoicing. This is an, another thing that we notice here, and, and it encourages our heart and helps us understand our purpose. Paul just breaks out in rejoicing. Verse number 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
And this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He's rejoicing in what? That Christ is being proclaimed. That Jesus is being preached. That lives are being transformed. That the gospel is progressing and advancing all over Rome and the world. And God is ruling. Can you know what? God takes our difficulties and hardships and sorrows and pains and difficulties. And just like we sang a while ago, he uses them like a refiner to refine out the waste in our life and to make us shining for him. Amen. He is the potter. We are the clay. And he molds us and makes us. He's the artist. And we're just a canvas. And he's painting for his glory. This is not about you. It's about him and about his purpose for your life. He's at work in you. And in that I will rejoice, Paul says, because God is working in us and among us to expand and carry out the gospel here and around the world. Can you rejoice in the gospel being proclaimed no matter who proclaims it? Amen. Can you, can you rejoice even in your hardships? Amen. Mm. Interesting story. Two of the great preachers in the Great Awakening were two men who had do different doctrinal positions. And there was a natural kind of criticism and rivalry that could happen. One is John Wesley, and the other is George Whitfield. Now, they disagreed on some doctrinal issues, but they were both greatly successful in reaching multitudes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands were reached, but even though they had differences, one more Arminian leaning, the other more Calvinistic leaning. And so, uh, and both had their different people that followed them and, 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 and were loyal to them and maybe critical of the others. And they, somebody asked Wesley, do you think you'll see Whitfield in heaven? And John Wesley said, no. I think not. And says, so you don't believe that he's a convert? He said, of course he's a convert. But he'll be so close to the throne and also he's so much further back than him. I'm not sure I'll ever see him in heaven. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful thing? He says, you know what? He says, he's not my competitor. He's my partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is his confidence in the end? Notice he says in verse number 19, this is my confidence. He says, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance, literally for my salvation through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, you know, this is my confidence. This is one thing I know. What do I know? That God is working in me for my sanctification, for my salvation, for my perfection. That God is doing a saving thing in me and he's using me. He's changing my life. He's delivering me from sin. And he will deliver me. He will save me. He will sanctify me. He will take care of me. This is something that I know 
that he's taking care of me. Notice verse number 19. He says, for I know. It's also, uh, he's sort of quoting scripture from Job chapter number 13. And Job 13 says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. It says in the verse before, why should I take my flesh in my teeth? And why should I put my life in my hands? For I know that though he slay me, I will hope in him. He said, my life is held not in my hands, but in his hands. And he's taking care of saving me, protecting me, and being with me. And so whatever they mean for bad, God can work for good. Now, don't you think the Philippian jailer, when he's sitting in the congregation and he gets this letter from Paul and realizes what Paul's saying, says, that's right, amen, that's exactly right, because I remember we meant it for bad. We beat the fire out of him. We meant it for bad. We put him in the middle of the prison. We meant it for bad. We mocked him and made fun of him. God worked it for good, and I'm the good, because I thought when the earthquake happened that they had all left, and I thought my life was over. But when the lights came on and I saw Paul I said what must I do to be saved and he says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and so we preached the gospel my whole family got saved my whole family was baptized and God took something that was bad and difficult and he worked it for good in saving me and the Philippian jailer is saying amen Paul that's exactly right that's the way God works God can take these difficult times and work them for good Because that's how God works. Amen? Do you believe God has his hands on you? Has a hold of you? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. I'm going to ask you to do this. Will you put your hand just like this? Will you do that right now? Would you put your hand like that? And I want you to take your other hand, put it right like that. And I want you to imagine that you are in the hands of Jesus and no one will ever snatch you out of his hand. He's got a hold of you. Y'all believe that? Now listen, the next verse says, and the father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one's even able to snatch them out of my father's hand. He holds you. I've told you that truth before, but I think it's important to revisit it time and time again. God holds you, and I'm confident in him. Amen? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? In Romans 8, verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Who's greater than God? How about verse number 32, Romans 8, 32? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Listen, God did everything for you for your salvation. And if he gave the greatest treasure of heaven to save you, don't you think that he will take care of you and protect you? Yes, he will. Amen. For God be for us, who could be against us? Isn't that marvelous? Amen. Not only my confidence in my salvation, but by my support. 
And what is the support? The support is found in two ways. First of all, he says, your prayers and God's spirit. Notice what it says in verse 19. For I know this shall turn out for my salvation, my deliverance, through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Christ. Paul said, you know what? Your prayers make all the difference in my life. I know that you're praying for me, church. I know that you have prayed for me and you have supported me. And from the human side, I know you're praying for me. How many of y'all believe that prayer really matters? How many believe that prayer is powerful? I know it is. Now listen, God loves you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul said, Brethren, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God would spread rapidly and be glorified. In Ephesians 6, verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me to the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Prayer. Paul believed in prayer. He said, pray for me. Now, folks, I don't understand that it's a mystery. But the Bible says that the prayer, the faithful prayer of a righteous man has great effect, availeth much. Prayer is powerful, and God has so ordained it mysteriously that when the people of God stand in the gap and pray for each other, God strengthens us in unbelievable ways. In this pandemic, in this suffering you're going through, pray. Pray for our church. Pray for the missionaries. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who are going through difficulty. Pray that the word of God would be evidenced in our life and a living faith for the glory of God. Amen? And then he says, and God has given us his spirit. He says, in the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, verse 19. How many of y'all believe Jesus is with you? Man, he's with us. He's with me. I am so grateful to God the Lord's with me. Other people may abandon me. Other people may not be near me. I might have to be all alone. And some are quarantined in your house all alone. But you're not alone. God is with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said in John 14, I will ask the Father and he'll give you a helper who will be with you forever. Amen. Paul said, in, I mean, Luke said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he quotes the Lord. He says, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. He is with us. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, always, even to the end of the age. My confidence rests on God and his spirit is in our life and he strengthens us to go through whatever we're facing in our life. Isn't that good news? It's the greatest news of all. And finally, he said, it's all for God's glory. All that we're going through is for the glory of God. Amen. Now, listen close. We're just about done. He says, 
according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be shamed in anything, but with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He said, the way I live my life, my words, my actions, my relationships, my witness, my faith, I'm doing it all for Jesus. And whether, how, no matter what, however I live, I'm doing it to glorify God. But even if I die, and even if they kill me, as I die, I want to magnify Christ even in my death. Amen. That's the great purpose of his life, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Hmm. One scholar, Eliot, said, Paul is saying, listen close, my body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. That reminds us he's the artist. I'm the canvas. My life is the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. He wants to let his son's life shine in you. That's God's purpose for you. Whether hard times or good times, that the glory of Christ might be seen in our life. Before we come to our last song today, in verse number 29 it says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Amen. It's been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Man, it's all about Jesus. That's your purpose for living. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Now listen, you're not living in alignment with his purpose if you've never given your life to Christ. If you're living in sin, if you're rebelling against him, if you're living in fear and not in faith. But if you'd bow your head and pray with me today, I want to lead us in a prayer of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Dear God, I know that I've sinned and I know I've gone the wrong way and I've rebelled against you and I need you as my Savior. I turn from my sin and selfishness and I turn back to Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Father, I've, some of us have been caught up in fear and self-centeredness and it's all about me and what's happening to me. God, forgive us. Help us to see that you're a big sovereign God that's at work in glorious ways. And even in my suffering, you've given me a platform to be a witness to Jesus Christ. God, help me to live so. Oh, Father, thank you for loving us. We repent to you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Strengthen us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.